Good morning, Maple Crest. Last night I had a dream. It was an interesting dream. I've never heard anybody speak on this kind of dream before. Maybe I'm the only one who has them. I had a manifesting dream. Has anybody manifested in a dream? Yeah, I see a nod. Uh, it was just such an interesting thing. My house was turned into a sound system. It was like completely, just like, I was ripped apart and, and the insides were replaced with this, like a speaker system to like speak into the world. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And we were in the service and we were trying to find a church. And Mike Bickle was there from, the sanct- from IHOP. And I was working with him and he was working with me. And he was trying to find a church and I was trying to find a church. And halfway through I stopped caring about whether I found a church because I was just overcome with the presence of the Lord. And I was manifesting like I've never manifested before, totally out of control, stumbling around the room in my dream, and uh, just woke up with the with the spirit of God on me. So today is going to be good, and um, I'm just going to push this back because I want to speak a little bit louder, and I don't I'm nervous. Okay, so yeah, today is going to be good. Today we are talking about abortion. I don't know about you, but I've never actually heard a talk on abortion before in a church service, maybe a workshop or something like that. Is that true for you guys? Is that like a, I don't see that being a common topic out there. And so um, I wanted to talk on abortion, and I'm talking to you guys, and we're talking as a church, but I also want you to know that I'm, half of me is not talking to you. This is a statement for heaven uh, in my mind, and it's a... Um, like Maplecrest is, is young, and we are the the the, the, cement, the foundation of of Maplecrest is still wet, and so today is about carving, uh, and I don't want to have to destroy the foundation later. So today is about putting my finger in wet cement and writing on what Maplecrest is about as a church. So this is uh, it was funny because we were having a devotional during the week, and Margaret had talked about the letters to the churches in Revelation, God's opinions about the churches, and don't compromise. And I feel like right now we actually get to write our own letter. We actually get to write the letter that God would write to us about who we are. And these kinds of moments when we speak about who we are and what we are as a church is an opportunity for us to determine what is in the letter from God to our church. Like, what is he going to say about you? What is he going to say that we're about? And whether we compromised or not compromised. So today is about heaven, but it's also about us as a church walking into this. And I also believe that we're, we're reaching in and we're touching the, like the heart of God in a, in a very specific and unique way today. This is something I think that is very much in the core of who he is because it's about children. And God has a special place in his heart for the vulnerable and for the weak and the brokenhearted, and the people without a voice. And I can't think of a better example than children who kind of meet all of that, the innocent. And so uh, we are speaking about something, I think, that's right in the core of his heart. Now, can we put up the first slide? Um, I bet you're doing a lot, Jason, but if you can put up the first slide for me. I want to just cover today with grace. Uh, before I get into this in depth, today is... Uh, I actually had the picture of the rainbow... Uh, of God, the emerald rainbow around his throne, a a rainbow of mercy. And I wanted to put this scripture up. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So everything that we're speaking about today, I believe is spoken under his grace, under his mercy, under his blood. And um, so there is no condemnation. In fact, half of the message today is actually about joy and uh, having joy in 
uh, the revelation of what he wants for us. To actually know what God wants for our country, what he wants for, for our church, uh, is actually a grace. It's actually a gift. And we need to rejoice in that. And so we're going to be speaking about that. But before I speak about that, I do... Well, today I'm going to be speaking about Nehemiah 8. And uh, so that's kind of the background scripture for today. Nehemiah 8 is about Nehemiah, not surprisingly. And Cyrus, I like scriptures that involve Cyrus. Anyway, so uh, Cyrus uh, sent the Israelites out of uh, captivity, sent them back to their land to rebuild the temple. And they did. And it was after 70 years of being in captivity. And they rebuilt the temple. And then once they rebuilt the temple, they didn't rebuild the wall around the temple for another 70 years. Uh, so there were, it needed a wall. City strengths were based on their walls in those days. Uh, and, and I believe that that's you know, literally true. They need a wall. And I believe um, that it's also a metaphor for us today in that if there's a hole in our wall, if there is a breach in our wall in our city here, it's an agreement with the enemy. It, it's a place for us to be vulnerable and to have the enemy come in. And so part of today is about finishing the wall. It's finishing the wall around Maple Crest. And I think there's more wall to be built. But today is a section of that wall that's being built just as Nehemiah needed to build that city and build the wall around it. And um, so that's kind of like the background. I'm going to get more into Nehemiah in a minute. There's a lot going on in this, in this talk. Um, and... The wall, I believe, is, is metaphorical for the lie. Um, and, and in that way, it's an agreement with the enemy. If we, if we believe the lie, we're agreeing with the enemy, and the wall is kind of this truth, this stand of truth around us. And the big lie here in abortion is that, is that it's, uh, a fetus is not a baby. Some people believe... Um, that this is that the, the debate about abortion is about people who love babies and people who don't love babies. And I don't believe that at all. I mean, I think that there's probably a percentage out there, a very, very small, small minority who want to kill babies. I don't know. But that's not what this debate is largely about. This debate is about what is a baby and operating under what truth around that. And this is primarily a spiritual battle and not a physical or intellectual battle. I'm a psychologist, and so I work with people uh, around, um, around trauma. And I know that Canadians love babies because it's one of the big reasons why I have people, first responders, coming in with PTSD. Um, they find babies, they, they encounter these awful situations, and they're traumatized by them. Winnipeg, Canada, Manitoba, we love babies. That's not the issue. It's a lie that we're talking about today, about what a baby is. And whether a fetus is different than a baby. I actually got more interested uh, in um, kind of abortion and issues around abortion when we had and conceived Simeon, my first, our firstborn. And it was actually difficult uh, to get pregnant. It took us five years. And we got pregnant when Natasha was actually scheduled for a surgery to help us get pregnant. And she got pregnant while we were in India. So we had a little t-shirt made for him. And the t-shirt said, made in India. <laughs> and uh, it was at that time when we had conceived Simeon. And, and 
was fun. We were in India, and, and just being in Delhi, in New Delhi, you're like basically breathing this pollution, and it's the equivalent of basically a pack of cigarettes a day. So I bought this air purifier, and I was chasing Natasha around the apartment with this air purifier all day and <laughs> buying plants and things like this. And so I was very interested in, in, uh, well, in fetuses, and, in, um, and I got more interested in the abortion issue. And I started to do some research, and I never spoke on it, but it was, the research was there. Um, and this was about five, six years ago that I did this research. And it was, and I just want to paint just a quick landscape of what's happening with abortion in the world. And because it was surprising to me. Now, abortion is the number one cause of death in Canada. It's the number one cause of death. Now, if you took every other cause of death, yes, those would be more than abortion. But if you take any single cause of death, like the main ones are cancer and cardiovascular disease, if you take either, either of those, abortion is bigger than either of those. It's hard to count abortion. You don't have to report abortion. So they're estimates, right? So I, we can't be sure. But the best estimates, conservative estimates, are that it's somewhere around 110,000 110, abortions a year. 22% of the pregnancies in Canada. One in five. So every year, 120, 110 die of abortion, 75,000 die of cancer every year. From these statistics, I would have to say that the first nine months of our existence is the most dangerous. The majority of Canadians feel there should be some legal limitation of, on abortion. At least that was the last one I checked. And that was, again, most of my statistics were from about five years ago. So I'm not exactly sure. I don't think things have changed all that much. In 1969, it was, it was legalized in Canada. And in three years, the number of abortions increased 44%. So legalization matters. And it matters for lots of issues. We're seeing legalization all over the place. If you can just think about what's been legalized in Canada in the last year or what's been legalized in the United States. And opinions they found. I was actually on the radio and they were one of the topics I could have chosen. I didn't actually choose it was the effect of legalization on beliefs in countries. Because they're seeing how legalization of different things changes the belief system in that country afterwards. So legalization actually does change opinion. Now, I'm not happy about this statistic, but I want you to know about it. If we did... If countries make abortion illegal, the number of back alley or you know, self-induced abortions increases. And there's statistics that are cited in different places about that. But I want you to know, and I'm not happy about this, but 0.2%, um, so under 1%, 0.2% of illegal abortions or back alley abortions are fatal. I'm not saying that that's a good thing. But I want you to know what this statistic really is. It's about the equivalent of getting a gallbladder surgery. It's a little more dangerous than getting an appendix surgery, but it's, about the, it's exactly the same statistic as a gallbladder surgery, which is the second most common surgery completed. Now, the debate about abortion, people hit different topics about abortion. Is a fetus alive, is one. And is fetus a human, which is another. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on those two because I don't even think they're worth the time. Most people who are serious about debating or talking about abortion don't even consider those two because they're kind of obvious. 
uh, fetuses show every signal of being alive that we have scientifically. And if a fetus isn't a human, we don't really know what it is. I mean, it's not a chimpanzee, it's a human species, right? Like it, it has human DNA. So those really aren't worth debating. I mean, you could talk to people about it, but it's not something that is really seriously debated. At least not in my opinion. The real debate is a debate that has been about many things, and that is whether a fetus is a person, which is different than whether it's a human being. And the definition of a person is very difficult to determine. It's a slippery one. There's no real foundational elements to determining who a person is and, or what humans are persons and what humans aren't persons. I wasn't planning this. Yesterday, Natasha's family's in town. So yesterday, I was just walking through my day, and as I walk through my day, I, my brain is usually processing something other than what I'm doing, just so you know. Uh, and as I was walking, I was processing today's talk. Uh, we've been quite busy, so I'm kind of writing my sermon as I go and writing myself texts about what I want to put in it. And then I realized where I was. I was in the Museum of Human Rights. We were taking Natasha's family around the city, and we got to be Winnipeg tourists. And this is what I saw on the wall. Could you put up the next slide for me? It says, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. I was just like, oh Lord, the day before I'm speaking on abortion, you've put me in the Museum of Human Rights. The Human, right Human Rights Museum basically exists because of the question of who a person is and who a person isn't. That is the question that has created that museum, in my belief. We visited the Nelson Mandela ex exhibition. We visited the Permanent Holocaust exhibition. And both of those exhibitions are about who's a person and who's not a person. Whether a Jew is a person, whether a person with dark colored skin is a person. And these things are debated. Now the Bible makes two things clear. That babies, and it refers to them as babies, doesn't have a, at least in the, in the scripture I was reading, didn't have a separate word for fetus. Babies have, in the womb, have spiritual experiences. And babies in the womb have destinies. Jeremiah 1, 4-5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah had a destiny in the womb. He was known by God. He was a person. So did Jesus, but I thought people sometimes make exceptions for Jesus, so I, I chose Jeremiah. Spiritual experiences. When Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was greeting Mary, the mother of Jesus, the baby leapt in her womb. John the Baptist was not born yet. And yet John the Baptist, in the womb, had a spiritual experience. A prophetic knowing. A touch from the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure. But he leapt in the womb. So that's the first thing. Fetuses have these experiences in the Bible, and I'm not meaning this to be an exhaustive defense of the fact that 
that the Bible, or the case for what the Bible says about who a person is or isn't. I'm just wanting to touch some of the highlights here. The second thing is I don't actually believe that people biblically have human rights. Now, I actually have a lot of sympathy for the human rights movement because I think that having the human rights movement was better than what was before the human rights movement. And I think that in our lives and in the lives of the church, we move from better to better and better understanding of God's wisdom and order and things like that. And I believe that the belief that people are special and have, um, and have dignity and need to be respected, I believe that that's better than not believing that. So, and I think that's closer to the kingdom of God. So human rights, like, yeah, like, I get it. And I love the fact that as I walked through there, there was the Bill of Rights for Children, there was the Bill of Rights for Women, there was the Bill of Rights for all these different groups that had been ostracized and deemed non-persons in the past. And I'm pro all of those things. But to be more accurate, I don't believe that humans have human rights. Now, you could probably debate this, and I'm okay with that, if you get into the details of it. But I think it's better to describe what humans have as gifts, privileges. We're created and God didn't have to do anything for us. But he did. He created agreements with us. They were privileges. And then we sinned. And he continued to give us grace. They're mercy, grace, gifts. That's what humans have. Sometimes we claim these things like we deserve them, but we don't really deserve them. His promises to us. They're promises. They're gifts. They're not rights. They're not inborn rights. So in that way, I don't believe that babies have human rights. And I don't believe that mothers have human rights. And I believe that one of the problems with the human rights movement is that every human right infringes on somebody else's human right. Human right creates conflict. It's actually created to end war, but I believe that it actually creates conflict. One person has the right to be warm, but the oil that they're burning on the street infringes on somebody else's human right for clean air. Somebody's right to not experience hate speech infringes on somebody else's freedom of speech. The Human Rights Museum gets this and talks about it. It's all over the place. Human rights conf conflict with each other. And if it's a right, I need to fight. If it's a right, I need to fight for myself. I need to be assertive. So when you have a human rights museum, you have one person and another person, all of them fighting for their own rights. Not really being all that concerned about the rights of other people. It's probably not true 100%, but it's kind of the thrust of it. And everybody, every exhibition is there was talking about, we have a right to this. Well, we have a right to that. It was all about them. And that's where the debate around abortion stands. Babies saying, I have a right to live. And mothers saying, I have a right to my body. And they infringe on each other. But if it's a right, you need to fight. Who's going to win? Now, I'm a psychologist. And under the ethics of psychology, when human rights, when you have an ethical dilemma and they conflict, you're supposed to go with the more vulnerable person. So even under their model, I would side with the baby. 
they have no voice, they're the vulnerable party. But I actually don't agree with the premise of the argument at all. I would change it. I would stop with starting with human rights. And I would start with loving each other. If there was any person who had a right, it was Jesus. And what did he do with his rights? Did he stay up in heaven and claim his rights? He came down to earth and he laid down his rights. He joined with us and gave up his rights for us. He became one of us. That's what we're called to under God. So I would change the name of the Human Rights Museum. I'm not sure exactly what I'd change it to. <laughs> Image of God, I don't know. <laughs> unto others, love unto, I don't know, something. We could come up with a better name. I think that there's a better revelation. Whew. Good, I did it. I did the big abortion talk. How are you guys doing? Yeah? You guys were able to take that? That's good. Okay. Let's go back to Nehemiah. So, that would be the wall as I know it. We're always getting more truth. And I am open to the idea that I can understand the truth around abortion better. But I believe that we need to do the best, to put forth the best truth that we know. And that's the wall around the city. When Nehemiah starts, when the book of Nehemiah starts, in Nehemiah 1.5, he starts with a prayer. He starts with confession. And there's one thing I want to note about the way that he confessed, the way he started the building of the wall that I think is really important for starting the, this bringing forth abortion to heaven. And that is, Nehemiah confessed his own sin. He didn't say, we confess for them. He stepped over with them and he said, I'm one of them, Lord, and I confess with them. God isn't as interested in people who are stepping away from sinners and pointing the finger. He's interested in people who are going to step with them. Now, if you think, well, I didn't do anything. Jesus stepped with them, and he had no sin. And I don't think that we're in that position. I don't know if there's anybody in Canada who can't step into this and say, Lord, I confess. I confess for my fear. I confess for being a party to this. I confess for not doing more. I confess for not seeing people and not, not loving people as they should be loved in my own life. We need to join with the need, and that was what Nehemiah did. And God heard his prayer. One of the amazing things about Nehemiah is it took 70 years after the temple for them to build the wall. Then Nehemiah came in, and he built it in 52 days. His name is Comforter. Nehemiah means Comforter, which is another name for the Holy Spirit. If we try to go forward without the Holy Spirit, if we try to build a wall on our own, we might never get there. But in comes the Holy Spirit, and it takes a second. 52 days versus 70 years. 
This is a spiritual battle that we're fighting. It's about a lie. It's about a fog, a spiritual fog over our country and over the world. And I believe that that means that we need to join and pray and confess. And I believe it means we need to be obedient, as Nehemiah was. There's one other thing that I think is so important for this. When Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, they found the Bible, their version of the Bible. Obviously, it all hadn't been written yet, but they found what they had. And a whole generation of people heard the Bible again for the first time. They stood up, and they read it from beginning to end, and people stood in the courtyard and listened as it was read. And people were combing and going and explaining it because it was in another language. You can just imagine standing out there, listening to a word of the Lord for the first time. And as you can imagine, they started to cry. This is often what happens when we talk about things like abortion. Because we think about God's standard, and then we think about where we are. And you start to mourn, and that might be appropriate. But this is a prophetic picture of grace. Because Nehemiah stood and said, don't cry. They had every reason to cry. And he said, don't cry. They went around, they said, don't cry, don't cry. This day is holy unto the Lord. And then Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Some of us need to hold on to this scripture. (laughs) If you want some choice food and you want some sweet drinks, this is the scripture you might want to memorize. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and get enough candy so that if your neighbor doesn't have any candy, you can give some to them. Then he says, this, that was a paraphrase. (laughs) He didn't say candy. He said, and send some of those who have nothing prepared. Said some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now I like this because my natural tendency as a human being coming to the Lord is to grieve. I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but I feel good grieving. Is that kind of weird? I don't know. I feel like good just being like, you're holy and I'm not. You know, it's just like, I don't know, there's something very satisfying about being in that picture. Like, it satisfies this urge to be humble or something like this. So that's my natural tendency. So I like this scripture because it takes me out of that. It takes faith for sure. You have to know who God is and who you are in order to grieve. And that is amazing. But it takes more faith to know who God is and who you are and to have joy. Because you have to believe that he loves you. You have to believe in grace. And you have to believe that he's going to fix it all in the end. So that's the next step. Nehemiah prayed. He confessed. He stood there and he said, Lord, forgive us. And then he lived in joy. If we want something to start in this church, if we want a revival to start in this church, 
We can't live in mourning. We have to know how to do it, don't get me wrong. Some churches don't know how to mourn. Some churches don't know how to repent. Some churches don't know how to be humble. But we have to live in joy. For every day of repentance, I want seven of joy. I want that to be what we're living in. That's life. Guilt, remorse is a moment. It's a, oh my goodness, Lord. And then you go right into, thank you for showing me. I have God's word. He just showed me where I went wrong. I'm like, so it's like, oh my goodness. And then right away, boom. Oh my goodness. Thank you for showing me. You didn't let me live in the darkness anymore. The grace of even just having the sin pointed out should make us rejoice and give us joy. And then you have the joy of, oh my goodness, you've forgiven me. And then you have, oh my goodness, you have the joy of, you're going to make this right in the world. We want to live in our praises. The Levites calmed the people, saying, Be still, for this day is holy. It's so holy, I want you to have joy. Do not grieve. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink. (laughs) And sent portions of food. And to celebrate with great joy. Because they now understood the words that had been known to them. I don't know many churches that speak about abortion, but I want that to be our reaction. I'm not saying that, oh, I'm the one who now showed you everything. So many of you are probably better educated, potentially, than I am about this. But I want it to be something that's spoken from the front. I want it to be something that we do together. And I want it to be something that, yes, we confess, and then we live in the, oh, my goodness, you've opened this up for us. You've given us your word, and we now understand One of the reasons why it's so important to have joy is so that we have the strength to repent next time. And joy comes from our worship. It comes from rejoicing. In our last two services, we had oil being poured out. And part of the reason I think that was was so that we could do today. We had joy in the last two services. And I believe that was the strength we needed in order to be able to talk about what God was putting on our church today. It gives us strength. So abortion is about a fog, a lie over Canada. It's not about people who want to kill babies. It's about people who believe something. About an agreement with the enemy. A breach in the wall that needs to be rebuilt. We need to agree with God. We do need to repent. We need to join with Canada and repent for our participation in this. And we need to construct the truth. We need to rebuild the wall to understand and to hear the words of the Lord, to hear about John the Baptist in the the womb, experiencing God for the first time. And then we need to live in joy and have faith that God is going to fight this battle for us. And we just need to be obedient and enjoy him. We need to bang the tambourine as we walk into war. We need to live in the strength of joy. Because he's giving us the truth. 
because he is the truth, and because he's going to make it all right again. May his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for making this day holy for our church. And I pray that it would be written in your letter to us, you, Maple Crest, are a church that stood in a country with no laws about abortion, and you stood with my heart. You stood with my heart. Lord, help us to stand with your heart. Help us to be on guard for the spiritual health of our country. Lord, we're not... We're concerned about the babies, but we're concerned about the people in their lie. Lord, you can take care of babies. They're going to you. They're so precious to you. But Lord, I pray that you would heal the hearts of people and lift the fog of the lie. And I pray that you would bring comfort as you do that. And grace, that your grace would come right away and sweep right in to heal our land. Amen.